Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Thanks, Linda. Uh, Hey, everybody. My name is Steve Weens. I'm the pastor around here. And hi, Claire. You're in town this weekend. Oh, my gosh. Claire Wyatt. Uh, is doing MBA, and she's almost always gone, but there she is. So, hi, Claire. Uh, I clearly didn't take my ADD meds this morning. Um, Before I invite Mary up to do the scripture reading, I want to introduce today's speaker. Uh, Dave Johnson is my friend, uh, longtime mentor, and in 1994, when Mary and I were getting to know each other and falling in love, Mary was going to Open Door, and she would tell me about this guy who preached and who took the scriptures that you thought were familiar and turned them upside down and shook them out and made them sound good again. Uh, And so I remember when I first started coming with Mary uh, on Saturday nights to Open Door to hear this guy preach, uh, I experienced the same thing, just... He had a way of unpacking and unlocking the beauty of the scriptures that had maybe sounded not beautiful in ways that changed my life and changed my preaching and changed my, the way I think about God. Um, and then I came on staff at Open Door and Dave became a really, really dear friend. Uh, Dave and I still get together once every two or three months and talk about pastoring and he's the guy that I can just let it all hang out. Uh, and he's always calling me back to hope uh, and away from cynicism. And so uh, I, so please, uh, again, Mary's going to come up and read the scriptures before Dave comes up, but please uh, give Dave Johnson a very warm Genesis welcome, if you would. Morning, friends. This is not planned, but I just also have to say how excited I am for you to hear this voice today. Dave is the first person I ever heard say that the Bible could mean more than just that one thing. And the first place I really understood that this messy, wonderful love we experience with each other is just a shadow of what the divine presence and the maker has for us. And so this is someone that is um, a father to my spirit, and I'm excited for you to experience him. So the scripture, Jeremiah 2, verse 2, thus says the Lord, I remember concerning you the devotion of your youth, the love of your betrothals, your following after me in the wilderness through a land not sown, 
full of thistles and a path uncleared. I remember concerning you. Do you remember me? The word of the Lord. Ooh. Mary, um, I, 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 I'm thinking it wasn't just your turn to read that, that this was intentional, and I'm very glad um, you have a way of bringing life to the text. I, I, on the way over here, I had this memory of Mary wrote a Mother's Day prayer for our church a few years ago, and um, it so blew me away. I think I got a copy of it the week before. It so blew me. It was so full of, I preached her pr prayer that week. So it's like your stuff is up there with scripture. I exegeted. <laughs> I did. Like, this means this. You know that. That means that anyway. I went a little crazy, but it was in incredible. I am delighted to be here. I'm, yeah, thrilled, I think, would be the word when Steve texted me, because he doesn't call. He just texts. Um, <laughs> thank you. You know him. Okay, good. Uh, my immediate response was, yes, uh, before I even knew if I could, I said yes. I didn't know if I was even going to be in town. I said, yes, I'll change that. My second response actually was, about time. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> he's been to our church like 50 times and... So anyway, uh, the, the next day, though, he te texted me some of the details of the service, and, and then in bold letters was, don't forget, 25 minutes, 25 minutes, max, <laughs> all caps. I texted him back, ha, all caps. <laughs> Actually, he knows that I think if you can't say what you have to say in 25 minutes, take 30. So anyway, <laughs> okay. I know that your preaching schedule follows the lectionary. At Open Door, we did that too the last several years. I was there, and I loved that. This week is the sixth week of the sixth Sunday of Epiphany. So I want you, I'm saying that because I don't want you to think I'm just blowing that off. Um, but when Steve offered some flexibility, uh, if I had something fresh and something that felt strong and present to me, I knew what it would be. And it was this call that you heard Mary just read to remember. I remember concerning you. Do you remember me? And while there are a number of reasons that that text um, stirs things in me, the first and most obvious is this, I think, how human it feels. Um, and vulnerable, too, because this is God <laughs> speaking through the prophet to his people uh, like a human being. He's talking like a person to a person, and there is in his voice a kind of sadness, almost like a lover, who's begun to wonder something you shouldn't have to wonder, like, are we still a thing? Have, has something shifted in our relationship? Have you gone away? Are we in this together still? Because I remember, do you um, remember? But then beyond that question and how human it feels, which is the first thing that got my attention, the other thing about this is, and this got my attention a long time ago, is how often some version of that question shows up in Scripture all through the Scriptures. Indeed, there is this pattern. It's almost like a, a rhythm that recurs over and over again. Indeed, all through the Scripture, it is there, where over and over again, for a variety of reasons and in a variety of ways, the people of God would do what people do. They would forget um, who they were and whose they were and why they were here. And when they did forget, they'd start to wander. As if in a stupor, uh, they'd get lost, sometimes even going into exile. And so there was this pattern of forgetting and remembering and getting lost. And then over and over again, there'd be this recurring thing where God, through the prophets, 
would begin to cry out again, it's time to remember, it's time to return, indeed, with all your heart. The prophet, the prophet Joel says in Joel chapter 2, verse 12, so we've heard Jeremiah say this, now Joel says, return to me, God, through the prophet, to the people, to the Lord your God with all your heart, and you don't need to be afraid. He says in verse 13, as if I'd punish you for forgetting, uh, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, but there's no time to waste. The prophet Joel says in verse 15, so sound the alarm, blow a trumpet in Zion, sanctify the congregation, proclaim a solemn assembly. It's time to remember and to return, first of all, to our God. And every time they did return, and they did return, just like they forgot, they would also return. They'd be awakened. There'd be a revival of sorts. They'd be revived. Like someone who'd been sleeping, now they're awake. Like someone who'd been groggy, now they're alert. Um, like splashing water in the face of someone who's coming to. When they do start coming to, they start to remember. Oh, yeah, they start to remember who they are and whose they are and why they're here, and now they're back, and it just happened over and over and over again all through the story. It's just part of the story, the story of God, and because that's true, it's part of our story because that's what we do. We forget and we remember and we wander and we come back, and it's all part of the story from the beginning of the book to the end of the book, and it actually, this rhythm began in the very beginning. This kind of blows me away because you can find it all the way through. We'll talk about Revelation in just a minute because in the very first chapter of Genesis, um, where God had to call in the garden saying to Adam, Adam, uh, where'd you go? As if to say, Adam, remember me? Um, return to the Lord your God, Adam. But it didn't stop there because from that day in Genesis till this day, today, the cycle of remembering and returning and then being revived, but then forgetting again happened over and over and over again. And it's not just part of our spiritual life. I mean, this is all dealing with our relationship with God, but it's part of our human life. It's just part of life. This rhythm is because this thing can happen in a marriage and you don't know when it happened. You don't know how or, or why it happened, but you forgot why why we did this marriage thing in the first place, and now it's just going through the motions. You know what that feels like. Um, you're just doing your duty, and when it becomes your duty and you're just going through the motions, uh, it's time to remember. It's time to take some intentional steps to somehow remember why we did this thing in the first place. Prophet Haggai um, lived a long time ago, but it wasn't much different then either. Chapter 1, verse 6, the prophet says this to the people, you sow but harvest little, uh, you, you, you eat but you're never full, you drink but you're never drunk, you put on clothing but you're never warm, you earn wages but you put what you've earned into pockets with holes, which speaks to a life of futility, uh, and, and, and it's kind of a depressing kind of futility because they never seem to have enough. They have everything they need, but they never have enough because you're still not quite full and you're still not quite warm and you're still not quite happy. You can't even get drunk, it says in verse 6, which is a bummer. I mean, anyway, um, sorry, I just heard him. Um, 
So consider your ways. That sounds like a big old preacher guy. So consider your ways. He says in verse 7, go up to the mountain because it's time to rebuild some things. It's time to restore some things, to remember some things like who you are and whose we are and why we're here and who you really love because you forgot. You just forgot again. Um, fascinating story with regard to this. First Samuel 4. Uh, and it begins with a very strange word. The word is Ichabod. Ichabod. But it's a stranger name, actually. But it is indeed a name and a word that shows up fairly early in the story, again, the story of God. Because in 1 Samuel 4, Ichabod is written. And what Ichabod means is the glory has departed. There's no longer a sense of God's presence among the people of God. And here's what happened. The nation of Israel is in trouble. Their nemesis the Philistines are coming against them, preparing for war. Their spiritual leaders, that is the Israelites, uh, most notably Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of the prophet Eli, Eli, were a mess. They were unfit for leadership. Indeed, Hophni and Phinehas, uh, the, the words literally mean in the Hebrew, I think you can confirm this, means idiots. They were both idiots, um, like spoiled rich kids. And this is Serious, I get a picture of them this way. Like spoiled rich kids who never had to grow up. They have no substance or depth, no strength of character or spirit, no sense of reverence for God, no hunger for the presence of God, but they were religious. You, you know these people, like grew up with these kind of people. So when the battle approached, they brought with them the Ark of the Covenant. Um, and the Ark of the Covenant was this powerful symbol to the people of God about the presence of God and the provision of God, the power and the glory of God. But to Hophni and Phinehas, the Ark of the Covenant and bringing it in, into battle really didn't mean much more than a good luck term. It was like, got to touch all the bases and make sure we're kind of covered. And it gave them a really good way to look spiritual and reverent because they brought the Ark of the Covenant in with them. But they, but they weren't um, reverent or spiritually focused, maybe like a lot of people, I think religious people who um, tip their hat to God. They may go to church and that kind of thing, but it's not much more than, I don't know, a good luck charm. It's kind of like touching all the bases like an athlete might go to chapel before a big game. I'm sure there's athletes who go to chapel before a big game because they want to get centered, and some go, I just got to make sure that I'm touching all the bases, that kind of thing, or kind of hedging their bets but there's no real sense of reverence in Hophni and Phinehas. There's no hunger for presence. They're rubbing a rabbit's foot when they bring this thing. So they go into battle and they lose the battle. And not only that, 30,000 are killed, Hophni and Phinehas among them. And the Ark of the Covenant is lost. The Philistines take this Ark. And the single messenger escapes, runs back to the city and to tell Eli the prophet what had Happened. I have terrible news, he says to Eli, who he found sitting on a wall. This is fascinating. The battle is lost. 30,000 are dead. Your two sons were among them. And the Ark of the Covenant, which is the symbol of God's presence and glory among us, is gone. And Eli, so overwhelmed with this news, falls backwards off the wall, breaks his neck, and dies. Boom! Anyway, it's a comedy. Uh, this thing, so. <laughs> so the messenger has some... <clears throat> What your voice? So the messenger needs to find someone else to tell. When he happens upon the wife of 
Phinehas. And so he tells her, I have terrible news. The battle is lost. 30,000 are dead. Your husband was among them. His father, too, in the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of God's presence and power. God's provision is gone, taken by the Philistines. And, and she, uh, being great with child, gives immediately, goes immediately into labor. She gives birth to a son. She dies in the process. Holy moly. But before she dies, she names her son, who she just gave birth to, Ichabod saying the glory of God is gone. Ichabod is written. It's a strange word, an even stranger name, and it would be a horrible moniker if someone would to kind of be, would kind of put that on you, but it was one given by God, actually, not, not uh, Phinehas' wife, to the church in Sardis. Now we're in Revelation. In Revelation chapter 3, where the Spirit of God through John pronounces this, church, I know your deeds. I know uh, that you have a name that you are alive. You, you look like you're alive, but you are dead. Ichabod is written over the church in Sardis. The glory has departed. The sense of God's presence is no more among you like the rhyme of the ancient mariner. It says, it says corpses man the ship, and dead men pull the oars, and dead men steer the vessel, which is a fascinating, though disturbing picture, kind of haunting, as I think, because the ship is moving. You can kind of see it in your mind's eye. It appears to be functioning. Only one problem, everything and everyone on board is, is dead. It just looks like it's alive. If it were a church, the activities would still be gone. You've seen this church. Um, I'm not picking on the church. I love the church. Um, but this is the church where it's all still going on and uh, classes are still meeting and sing, songs are being sung and pews are being filled and um, finances are being raised and building, buildings are being built. But there's just this problem. Everything's dead. Um, lots of activity and movement. Lots of noise, just no life. Ichabod was written. The sense of presence um, is no longer there. The glory has departed. And what's tricky is this, in this picture, that from a distance, everything looks good. Sermons that are entertaining, informative, and funny, maybe even bring a, a tear to your, your eye from time to time. Good insight there. But it's, it's no longer this, 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 this penetrating, pervasive, undeniable sense of God's presence that you experience. It's not even what you want anymore. You don't even miss it. I'm not talking to you, but this kind of person. Wouldn't even, wouldn't even miss, because that's not what they wanted anyway. Just good, well-crafted religious entertainment is what it sometimes just becomes. And I'll tell you why Ichabod is written. That's what happened there. The glory has departed, and it stayed that way. Now back to the text. Many years, for many years, until 2 Samuel chapter 6, when David became king. And when David became king, he said, in effect, it's time to remember, literally, to bring this thing back, to rebuild and rebuild. And, and return and restore what was lost. And what was lost in David's time and what he noticed was not just the Ark of the Covenant. It was the spirit among the people of reverence, the sense of God's presence. Ichabod had been written. The glory was gone, so we're going to get it back is what David said. Pretty much the first thing he did when he came upon his throne. And when they did in Second Samuel 6, the people sang and danced and Laughed for joy, verse 15 of chapter 16 says they were 
there was shouting and the sound of trumpet as David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord and they were dancing before the Lord with all their might. And when they experienced that sense of presence and joy, again, having lost it for such a long time, they thought, I'm sure they thought, we will never forget again. But they did forget. Um, and it's not because they're bad, it's because they're people, because people do. And Ichabod gets written again, and the glory's departed again. So here we are again, going through the motions. So God calls out uh, someone like David, another kind of David, but this time it's Nehemiah. And the next time it's Haggai, and then it's the prophet Joel, and so it goes all the way to the end of the book, again in Revelation, where John writes to the seven churches. And to the church in Ephesus, he writes this, verse 2, chapter 2, I know your deeds and toil and perseverance, that you don't tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, but they are not apostles. You have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary, but I have this against you. You've left your first love. Stop right there. Um, how can that be? How, how, can, how can you leave that? Because that's the only reason you do <laughs> any of the things. That it's just, that, that's why you do the deeds and toil and perseverance. But sometimes, see, here's the deal that I see in this particular church, Ephesus, is, is it wasn't any necessarily great sin. It's, it's sometimes right in the middle of all they're doing good. They're persevering and they're enduring. That's all good stuff. They're protecting. Uh, you forget. So with that in mind, look now at verse 5, or think about this where John says, remember, therefore, there's a thing again, remember, therefore, started in Genesis, it's here in Revelation, from where you have fallen and repent, which means to turn and do the deeds you did at first. And the deeds they did at first, um, I don't know, I think were actually a lot like the deeds that they were doing now when they were in kind of trouble because I think the deeds they did at first were things like protecting the flock and preserving this, this thing and, and enduring till the end. But it, at first, those deeds were done for free. They were done, they were done for love. They, so they, they did it because they wanted to, but somewhere in the middle of all the busyness and doing good and hanging on and persevering and guarding and protecting, they forgot who they were and why they were here and who they really loved. So they needed to remember. Um, and I would liken it to a family, to a husband and a wife, because you started in love. I mean, you did. Um, and it was real. But then you started doing life. It wasn't sin. You just started doing life. See, after the honeymoon, you actually had to go to work. I hated that. <laughs> and paying bills. And how boring is that? And raising kids and helping with homework and pursuing a career and building a home. So I know your deeds. I know your toil and perseverance in this, in this relationship, in this family. That you've worked hard to protect and defend the sanctity of this Thing. So you've, in, you've endured and you have not bailed out, but I have, whoa, but I have this against you. You've left that first love, not because you're bad, and certainly not because you're lazy, but because you've forgotten why you got married in the first place, why you wanted children to begin with, why you were so willing to sacrifice whatever it would take to build a home together so you need sometimes to remember and return and rebuild and then restore 
Um, my wife, Bonnie, and I uh, will have been married 46 years next month. Woo! 43. Oh, wow. um, we were 12 when, when we got married. In the early days, trust me on this, we didn't get much right. Um, but there was one thing I think we did get right. Um, we established this rhythm of getting away um, uh, and, and getting alone. We'd steal a day here, a day there. I was in the ministry, so you had to kind of steal your time. I actually had a real big thing about taking Monday off, and she was able to do the same, so we'd protect that day. And um, uh, one of the things we love to do on Mondays, this is a great thing for pastors, you probably, but on Monday you can go to a movie and nobody's there. So you get the whole place to yourself, and so Bonnie and I would go to movies on Mondays and sit in the back row and just make out the whole time, and, and it was just a wonderful, I remember you, I re- and I'm serious, no, I'm joking about the, well, I'm kind of not joking about, but what I am trying to get to, <laughs> um, those are times you just start looking at each other again, I, oh, yeah, I forgot you, and sometimes in that dynamic, all you needed was a nudge. My wife, Bonnie, used to say from time to time, she would when one of these times that she could tell I was drifting away, and that, would, that was twice a day usually, just in my thinking, she'd go, um, do you love me or do you not? You told me once, but I forgot. And I'm back. She, she, I'm back. So she says that because sometimes all you need is a nudge. Sometimes you need more. Sometimes we need to be shaken, and, and it's a kind of a rude Awakening, and sometimes it's a bit of a journey home, but you can do it. And when you do, you rediscover reverence for God, and it results in worship of God, which brings with it the glory of God simply because you remembered and returned. Let me close where we began with the word from the Lord that Mary wrote, uh, read Jeremiah 2 2. Thus says the Lord God. I remember concerning you, the devotion of your youth, the love of your betrothal. I remember your following after me in the wilderness through a land not sown full of thistles and a path uncleared. But it didn't matter that the path was uncleared. Because you were full of first love, passion, you'd have gone anywhere to be with me, says God through the prophet right here. You would have done anything to serve me. I remember concerning you. Do you remember me. And if you don't, then blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm. Gather the people, consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly. It's time to remember, and there's no time to waste. And then return with all your heart. Return to me. Let me close with this benediction, and then we'll go to the table. Um, just, just receive this. It's a Ted Loader prayer in this moment. Draw us to yourself, Lord, and help us to remember. And in the remembering, become aware, not so much of what we've given as of all we have received. And so, have yet to share. Send us forth in power and gladness and with great courage to live out in the world what we pray and profess that in sharing 
we may do justice, make peace, grow in love, and joy ourselves, other people, this world, and you. Forever. Endings are a place where life is Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions, questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscove.org.